Black Tech Green Money isn't just about telling the stories of successful black entrepreneurs. It's also about giving actionable and wealth building strategies that help you protect the future of our communities. That's why we're pleased to be supported by State Farm Insurance. State Farm also believes that we must invest in our communities to achieve economic growth by sponsoring programs like the AXO, which rewards high school students for their academic achievements. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, so there we were, cruising through the new open-air zoo, when I realized that the park was closing in like 15 minutes. Luckily, we were in my Nissan Rogue. With its powerful VC turbo engine, well, we had time to see all the animals. Whoa! <laughs> and outrun a few! Drive the Nissan Rogue. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. magic in the middle of life's messes. Hot, happy mess. I'm Zuri Hall and this is Hot, Hot happy, happy Mess. Oh, shoot. <laughs> hello, hello and welcome to the newest episode of Hot Happy Mess. I am your host Zuri Hall. Happy Wednesday if you're listening to this on the day that it drops because new episodes are almost every Wednesday. It's been a minute. <laughs> but it's because we needed to take a two-week break before diving into summer. We are here. It is upon us. It's like 80,000 bajillion degrees in LA, and I'm loving it, except I'm also realizing water is a necessity for life. And I don't drink nearly enough, and wine is not a reasonable substitute. So I'm working on that. Um, Quick life update. I just got back from an amazing birthday celebration in New York. I had such a great time with some of my closest friends, my loved ones in in NYC, and had an amazing birthday party. Um, Shout out to Charlemagne for throwing an awesome, epic fiesta shindig extravaganza (laughs) for me um on the upper east side it was just the time of my life and there were so many surprises and he surprised me with scarlet and gray balloons and my pictures were on the wall and it made me cry (laughs) and it was just really special and yeah it it was great to catch up with him and his beautiful wife and all of our friends and um, some acquaintances even that i hadn't caught up with in a while and we even had a little black effect not even reunion, like a black effect coming together. Obviously, um, Charlie's the charge for the black effect, which is the podcast network in partnership with iHeart um, that has partnered with me to bring you this lovely podcast. And what is so cool is, you know, a lot of these podcasts launched in the pandemic around the tail end. So I hadn't had the opportunity to meet some of the people who work on my team in person ever before. Um, So I finally got to meet um, my sound engineers, Dwayne and Jax were in the building. And up until that point, they'd just been tiny little virtual boxes that I'd been talking to for like a year and a half. So it's kind of crazy. when you think about the weird, bizarre world we live in now, where you're like, oh yeah, I know so-and-so, oh yeah, I know so-and-so. And then you're like, oh my God, I've never seen so-and-so in real life. So it was really special to be able to do that. And now I'm turning up again this weekend with all of my homies and faves out in Los Angeles. Birthday month, baby. What's up? Okay, so moving on to this week, we are turning inwards and diving into how to first create a healthy relationship with yourself and than others, okay? I personally believe that we can't ask or expect people to show up for or love us in ways that we're not even willing to love ourselves. Mental health is so important. 
I've taken um, my advocacy and, and my activism in this space um, more and more seriously. The older I've gotten, um, the more mature I've become, and the more I've realized just how important it is because of my own personal journey, because of the journeys of my loved ones and the ups and the downs, and just how clear it's become to me that, you know, we have to come from a place of inner wellness and mental wellness uh, first if we want to successfully and happily, joyfully make any sort of outward changes or plant any seeds in the outside world and expect them to grow um, or bear fruit. And it's a journey. It's a never ending journey. I have highs. I have lows. Um, and it's not just chapters, you know, it can it can fluctuate from one day to the next or one hour to the next. But the, the most important thing is to stay on the journey and to self-correct when you realize and when you can. And I hope that by listening to, you know, Hot Happy Mess and the conversations that we're having, the stories that I'm sharing and my guests are sharing, um, that you feel a little less alone and a little more seen as you continue on that journey for yourself. So today's expert is sharing how we can cultivate self-worth, develop more self-compassion as we navigate relationships with others. She's also sharing how to break the cycle of feeling unlovable, how to become more assertive when it comes to things like sex, and why we need to demand the things we want right? Closed mouths don't get fed. You got to ask for what you want. Finally, our expert is sharing her personal story on how self-forgiveness freed her from shame and how it can free you too. Here is Dr. Adia. Dr. Adia Gooden is a licensed clinical psychologist whose work focuses on unconditional self-worth, imposter syndrome, and black women and mental health. Dr. Adia gave a TEDx talk on cultivating unconditional self-worth which has over 950,000 views. We're pushing the million view mark, y'all. Dr. <laughs> Adia has a podcast, online courses, and programs designed to help people build healthy relationships with themselves and embrace their unconditional self-worth. We're all about it here on Hot Happy Mess. Dr. Adia, hi, how are you? I'm doing well. Thanks so much for having me. Of course. Excited to uh, dive into this topic with you. We're all about self-love, self-care, and I'm particularly interested in um, what that means at the intersection of relationship with other people, romantic relationships, mm. friendships. How does showing up for ourselves help us show up better in these relationships and help us help the people we love show up better for us too. Um, before we dive into all of that, I'd love to just learn a little bit more about you. Um, from what I understand, Producer Star gave me some notes. We're currently prego. We're a girl mom. I am. Like <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm about two. <laughs> so I'm about two and a half weeks from my due date. So I'm what? very pregnant. <laughs> oh my gosh. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. It's been a joy and, you know, a fun journey, lots of learning, lots of transformation, but really yeah. grateful for it. It's so funny with these like virtual calls and interviews, you know, it's neck up. So I would never, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> nobody can tell really. <laughs> right. We've got a whole baby bacon in there. Um, well, congratulations. I'm so excited for you. Um, and I'm all the more fascinated to hear about your journey journey uh, to where you are now, particularly based on where you started. You've been really transparent about that. Um, talk to me a little bit about your background. What exactly does your day-to-day -day work look like and, and why was it something that you wanted to do? Yeah. So as you mentioned, I'm a licensed clinical psychologist. So I have been doing therapy, individual group couples therapy for 10 plus years. Um, so really kind of sitting with a lot of people around their day-to-day -day struggles, right? Struggles with feeling worthy, struggles with depression, with anxiety, relationship challenges and issues. And I started to see a pattern and also connected that to my own life and experience. And what I saw was that despite people's achievements and accomplishments and sort of doing all of these really amazing, impressive things in their lives, so many people were still struggling with anxiety and depression and these other issues because they didn't feel worthy. And that really felt like a root cause for a lot of these challenges. And I connected that to my own life and my own experience of, you 
you know, achieving really highly, but never feeling worthy and seeing how, you know, my own struggles with self-worth played out in relationships. That was a really big area where my self-worth struggles played out. It played out in me having a lot of anxiety and a lot of my anxiety was tied to relationships and the decisions that I was making and the lack of boundaries and all of those things. And so that really sort of seeing it in myself and then also seeing it in my clients helped me to think about it more broadly and think about how do we help people to really believe that they're worthy and sort of get to that place? Because I don't think it's something that's talked about super commonly, right? We talk about self-esteem. We talk about, you know, achieving highly, but there's not um, enough conversation about what does it really mean to believe that you're worthy at the core, no matter Mm -hmm. what is going on in your life? Mm -hmm. Um, This is such an important topic, particularly for, you know, our audience, because this podcast, my vision for it was um, always to focus on conversations around how to do best life minus the burnout, right? I think for so many Mm. years, we were just taught to go, 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 achieve, 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 girl, boss it up, all of these things. And I felt just personally that no one at the time, this is, you know, especially maybe 10-ish years ago um, at like peak boss babe energy, right? When that that new uh, cultural shift was happening, um, no one was talking about how miserable we all were behind the scenes and the mental health (laughs) aspect. I was one of those people, right? I was high achieving. I was always checking the boxes. I couldn't wait to announce my next thing or whatever it was. But the truth is I was also low-key losing my mind (laughs) at certain points. I was so burnt out. And I also struggled in hindsight, I realized. I didn't know it at the time with feeling really insecure around some of the opportunities that I found myself in, dealing with imposter syndrome, even though it was my um, accomplishments or resume or achievements that had gotten me into those spaces. And also, yeah, I even hesitate to say it, but maybe a lack of self-worth also. But that's something that I think uh, we might be embarrassed to admit because who wants mm. to admit, oh, I struggle with finding myself worthy or I've, I've struggled with loving myself. Um, but I think we all have been there. What would be the biggest difference to you between self-esteem and self-worth? Because sometimes we use it interchangeably. I'm honestly not even sure I could define the exact difference Yeah, that's a great question. So I think of self-esteem as being based on our abilities, our accomplishments, and things we believe we can achieve. So sort of the external, right? And it's very common for high-achieving folks to have high self-esteem, but still struggle with self-worth because you feel you feel like, yeah, I know I can do that job. I know I can, you know, really go in there and do a great job and like get that whatever and you know whatever it in whatever realm it is like i can say a great speech i can give a convincing presentation i can help someone really effectively we might have high self esteem in the realm of what can we do in the world and so often we're very oriented towards doing what do we produce what do we do which certain certainly can lead to burnout because we always feel like we have to be doing and really struggle with resting and being because it almost feels like a threat to not be producing something. We're sort of like, who am I if I'm not productive? Girl, I'm over here <laughs> about to get because that is exactly it. Oh my goodness. It, and just hearing you speak about this, like the, the light bulbs are going off in my mind of, oh my gosh, there have been so many moments in my younger life, especially. And I think a lot of us where Now hearing you say the difference, it almost feels like I had tons of self-esteem and I overcompensated with the external stuff, probably as a reflection of what I lacked when it came to self-worth and that internal feeling. There was no reason to feel worthy or accomplished um, if I wasn't producing externally, which means that I was constantly in a state of production because otherwise I just had to sit with myself and Mm -hmm. not know, not know what I was Wow. Right. I like to say, you know, I had to teach myself 
to rest and relax because it was so uncomfortable at first because I was so used to doing, 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 and that giving me a sense of self-esteem, right? A sense of worthiness because I was producing. And so as I shifted to connecting to the part of me that is worthy just because I'm human, right? Worthy of love, care, and respect just because I'm a human being, it, it was an adjustment to be like, okay, I can rest. I can watch TV without my laptop on my lap doing something productive, right? I can just rest and, and, you know, enjoy that rest. I had to learn how to do that because I was shifting out of another mode that I think is so common for us. Right. Right. Absolutely. Um, going back to this idea of relationship with self, um, what does that even look like? You know, um, what does it mean to have a healthy relationship with yourself? How can we begin that journey if it's something we've never even thought about before? Yeah, it's such a good question. I think our relationships with ourselves are the most important and the most overlooked relationship we will ever have in our life. If you think about it, it's the one that you could never get out of, right? Like as long as you are alive, you are going to have some sort of relationship with yourself. But most of us are focused on relationships with other people, which makes sense. We live in a world, we like relationships, we like community. But when we're thinking about our relationships with ourselves, it's really about how do you see yourself? How do you treat yourself? How do you show up for yourself when things are hard and difficult, right? And I think so often we can see ourselves in a negative light, whether that's, you know, little things like, oh, my body should be different, or I should talk different, or I should dress different. So these little sort of I should be different kind of things, whether it's self-criticism, a lot of people have a lot of self-criticism running. Oh my gosh, you're such an idiot. You shouldn't have done that. I can't believe you did that. You're going to mess that up. You really think you can do that, right? Like this sort of constant inner narrative that's negative that we really wouldn't allow someone else to talk to us all the time like that, but we talk to ourselves in that way. And then it's how do you show up for yourself? So when you're struggling, when you're experiencing a painful moment or life event, how are you responding? Are you responding with care and kindness or are you kicking yourself when you're down? Are you abandoning yourself? Are you saying I'm done with you, right? Like I can't even tolerate, you know, the fact that you made that mistake or experienced that failure, right? Those are the foundations of how we relate to ourselves. Yeah, I am. Um, I I recently went on a, a, a solo retreat over New Year's Eve to this really awesome place called Golden Door. And it was all about self-care, self-love, women coming alone to spend the holiday alone together. And I went to a self-love workshop on one of these days. And this woman had this really fascinating point. Um, she's a licensed therapist. She, she does a lot of self-love coaching and workshops. And she brought up the idea of self-abandonment, which was mm. a new um, thing for me to wrap my mind around. I, you know, I'd gotten on the self-love train quite a while ago. I'd started to cultivate like a healthier relationship with myself and how I felt about myself and um, the positive self-care practices. But I only realized then um, that self-abuse and self-abandonment are also things like, let's focus on that now too. Things as tiny as, you know, I said this in a recent episode, filling up my gas tank versus not filling it up, riding around on E with anxiety skyrocketing, knowing I'm 20 minutes late to a meeting that I should have been at 20 minutes ago. Um, all of these little things um, that create chaos or disorder or um, stress in my life that could be easily avoidable if I just prioritize myself a little bit more and said, Nope, I'm going to fill that tank. Nope, I'm going to stop and actually eat this meal instead of going until 8 p.m. Things that you would not want for your partner or your mother or, you know, a, a child who you're caregiving for. And yet with ourselves, it's like, uh, I'll survive. Uh, I don't need to eat. Uh, who needs gas? And that was a form of self-abandonment. And, and I didn't realize that. And once I flipped the the, the script on how I looked at it, it made it easier to show up for myself mm. because I started looking at it as um, abusive feels like too strong of a word, uh, but maybe it, maybe the word just is abandonment and, and I wouldn't do mm -hmm. it to someone I loved if they needed me. Um, so why would, why would I do it to myself in all of these little ways? Yeah. There's so many ways that we sort of 
get into survival mode. Like I can deal with it. I can handle it. Right. There's sort of can almost be a badge of honor of like, oh yeah, I haven't slept in weeks or I haven't really eaten or, you know, all of these things, but they wear at us and they're exhausting. And that, you know, it is really the opposite of pouring into your cup. And eventually you're not able to show up for other people and you're not able to show up for yourself. And so I think it's such a good point to think about what are the small ways in which we can abandon ourselves or show up to ourselves. And I also like to think about, you know, what are the larger ways? So if you lose your job or if you get an STD, which was an experience I had, how do you respond to yourself? Because back when I was 24, the way I responded to myself was abandoning. It was sort of like, well, that's it. Your life is over. Like, that's it. Nobody's going to love you. I don't love you anymore. I don't know if I fully did at that point, but like, I'm done with you. I'm done with you, right? It's that sort of contempt. And that just makes the experience even more painful. Yeah. You you were really open about um, what you went through at 24. I'd love if you could share that story uh, with us, uh, particularly because your your self-worth really uh, sort of came and sprung from that very triggering moment and what came in the aftermath. So, So what happened to you at 24 and how did that change your life? Yeah. So I was, it was a summer. I don't know what year it was. <laughs> it was a summer. And I started dating. Summer, I just, the nerd of me is like, I'm 69. <laughs> oh God, sir, please stop. That's a phone law. I can't help it. <laughs> it was summer. Um, <laughs> was in the air. <laughs> exactly. So I started dating this guy and really sort of fell in love sort of, you know, at that time I felt like it was love head over heels and we were in a long distance relationship. So, uh, he had come to Chicago and we met and then he lived in DC and I was already had planned like a two week trip to DC that summer because my family lived there. My grandmother lived there and friends lived there. So then we spent like two weeks together. Then I went back. So we sort of developed this relationship and things were fine And then I went back to visit him. And I remember it was, I think it was Labor Day weekend. And, you know, looking back, I can see that I could already feel that things were sort of off, right? So this is part of, you know, like now I can see that if I had trusted my intuition, I might have been able to avoid a really painful situation, but I just wasn't there yet. So I go back, things feel sort of off. So, you know, we were having sex. I had, you know, we had had a conversation in the summer about uh, STD testing. You know, I was 24. I wasn't super well versed in that conversation. So I wasn't asking for, I wasn't saying, okay, we need to get tested again. I was, you know, there's a lot of things that I wasn't doing, but we had talked about it. He had said he was fine. I said I was fine. And we sort of kind of kept moving. So, uh, um, we had sex that weekend and I felt sick. Like I, I started to feel sick, but I, I didn't, I had no idea like what that was or what that meant. That very and things were ju- that you were with him. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. I felt sick and I didn't, I had no idea that like your body could have such a quick reaction. And this is good for people to know, because if you feel sick, it you can go to the doctor and there are shots that you can get immediately that can interrupt like an STD taking hold. So there's, there's reason to be really in tune with your body. If you like, if you sleep with someone and then you feel sick, that you should go visit the doctor. Because sometimes if you're within a couple of days, you could address it. So I felt sick, didn't know what it was, went back home. And uh, I don't know how much later it was, but so then I like didn't hear from him, which was another sort of emotional thing for me feeling abandoned and really upset. And it was probably a couple weeks later or a few weeks later when I went to my doctor and I learned that I had contracted herpes. And, you know, it was just, devastating. Like at 24, I was sort of like, as I mentioned, like, okay, that's it. Right. Like all your hopes and dreams of having partnership, of having kids, like of having a happy life. Like that's just, 
that's not going to happen. And for basically context, for those who may not know, this is a lifelong thing. Like once you've contracted herpes, you've got herpes. There's no cure, right? Like, yeah, there's no cure for herpes. And I think herpes is sort of unique because there are other, there are, so there are some STDs that there are cures. Herpes is a unique STD because people make fun of it, I think more than probably any other STD, right? So if you got HIV, that's obviously life-threatening. And so I think people are like, that's life-threatening. Nobody's going to, people are not going to make fun of you for getting HIV, right? But if you get herpes, it's like, ugh, you're dirty, right? Like there's this connotation publicly that says you should feel ashamed, you're dirty, you're like, look at you, look at how you are, right? And so I just felt so much shame. So we broke up (laughs) because Mm -hmm. I hadn't talked to him and I was like, okay, I'm not going to do this with you. So then I ended the relationship. Did you dealing with the breakup? Like tell him like- I. Yeah, later I told him and he was like, oh, that wasn't me. And I'm like, yes, it was. So he denied it. Yeah, so he denied it. It was really funny. Like a couple couple years later, he like called me randomly and was like, hey, blah, blah, blah. And I just was like laughing because at that point I was like, you're ridiculous. Like, why would you ever call me? (laughs) Wow. That's how you You know know. when the the shackle, the emotional chains have been broken when you can laugh at somebody you used to be pressed over because Lord knows I've been there. I'm like, oh my God. Like, are you serious right now? I can't believe I used to fall for this. Get off of my Right. And he was like, I was hoping we could be friends. I think I just started laughing and he was like, all right, well, I'm going to go. And I never heard from him because I was like, you're like, I don't even understand why you're on my phone right now like this is ridiculous i love i love that the universe (laughs) gave you that moment to just laugh at this clown and you had the exit stage left i love that for you exactly exactly so you know i was in it was a it was incredibly painful and you know, it took me years to even share it because, and I, you know, because there is so much stigma, there is so much shame, but I think the reason that that was important on my self-worth journey is because if I could eventually connect to a sense that I was still worthy, right? Like, even though I had this STD, even though, you know, I had this thing that so many people would make fun of and that I felt so ashamed of, if I could believe that I'm still worthy unconditionally, that I'm still worthy of love, care, and respect. Like that is incredibly powerful because if you, if you do everything perfect and you feel worthy, then there's still a sense of like, well, I'm worthy because I don't make any mistakes or I haven't done anything perfect or everybody would approve of all of my choices and decisions. But if you have something that you say, you know what? Some people might not think I'm worthy because of this. Some people might cast me out because of this, but I'm not going to do that to myself. I am going to love myself and care for myself and show up for myself, right? That that is a really powerful statement that you can make on behalf of yourself. And I'm so grateful that I was able to do that work because now, you know, as we sort of started, I'm pregnant, I'm in a happy marriage, like all of the things that I thought, you know, I'm just not going to be able to do those things in my life when I was 24. Uh, you know, they've happened because in part I was able to forgive myself and move forward and still love and embrace myself. Seeing our communities grow and thrive is something we care deeply about here at Black Tech Green Money. State Farm Insurance also cares about the growth of black communities. They're actively investing in programs and initiatives that help provide financial literacy, give early career advice, and grow black-owned businesses, thus leading to generational wealth, which helps protect the future of our communities. We want to build a future that we all can be proud of. State Farm understands that representation alone doesn't equate to authenticity. It also requires active sponsorship of programs like the AXO, a year-long program that recognizes and rewards high school students for their academic and cultural achievements, along with funding programs like Project Ready, a national urban league program committed to educational achievement of black and brown youth that has awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers to date. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and can have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, so there we were, cruising through the new open-air zoo, when I realized that 
The park was closing in like 15 minutes. Luckily, we were in my Nissan Rogue. With its powerful DC turbo engine, well, we had time to see all the animals. Whoa! <laughs> and outrun a few! Drive the Nissan Rogue. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. The next question to you is going to be, why? Why should we, you know, focus on building up our self-worth? And I'm thinking from the perspective of someone who, if you're drowning in the lack of it right now, and you hear people say, oh, love on yourself, treat yourself well, you deserve it. But like, I, meaning whoever, I don't believe that in that moment because I'm drowning in these feelings of self-hatred or abandonment or abuse. Um, so it all just kind of sounds like rainbows and unicorns and fairies too. <laughs> like, okay, thanks. I'm going to go back to my depressive episode now. Y'all have a nice day. So for someone who might be in the thick of it, what would you say to that person listening right now about why they should even try to get to a place where self-worth is something that they're they're looking to build up. What is waiting for them potentially on the other side if they just try this? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's a really good question. So, I mean, I really think that it's the foundation of living the life you want. And it's part of the reason what you're saying is part of the reason why the practices that I focus on teaching people to help get them to a place where they're embracing their unconditional self-worth are very sort of grounded and they're not super fluffy. I do think like, you know, the like self-love practices are like treat yourself and all those things. I think those things are wonderful, but I really like to start with foundational things like can you be compassionate with yourself? Like, can you talk to yourself with kindness? And that's a healing practice because instead of beating yourself up and saying, I'm the worst, I'm horrible, I'm dirty, right? Like those are things I was saying to myself. You say, oh baby, oh my gosh. Oh, that was so painful. And this is scary because you don't know how it's gonna go. And I'm here, I'm not leaving you. Because that's really what we want other people to do for us. And it's wonderful when other people show up for us in that way. And we can also show up for ourselves, right? We can also say to ourselves, I'm not leaving you. I'm here, right? We can practice self-forgiveness so that we get to release it instead of me. You know, imagine if every time... And I probably did this for a while. Every time I like am starting dating a new partner, I'm thinking, you idiot, you blah, 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 blah. And you had sex with that person. And now you have, right. And I'm beating myself up. Then how am I going to go into a healthy relationship with someone new if I'm beating myself up? No, if I say, okay, so you have this thing that you need to now talk to this new person about. And that takes courage and it's uncomfortable, right? And that's okay, right? And and I'm here with you and we don't know how they're gonna respond. So we're gonna like be, you know, thoughtful about boundaries and developing trust. But if I'm there for myself, then I am better able to engage in that new relationship in a healthy way versus hiding or never engaging in another relationship or, you know, on the first date being like, Hey, this is my story, you know, like doing all of those things. Right. So when we have the foundation of these practices and our self-worth, that's when we're able to build the life we want and have healthy relationships. Mm-hmm. You mentioned, um, you know, showing up for yourself, the self-love and then that translating to our relationships, um, or transitioning into our relationships. Rather, I always say, you know, I can't expect 
anyone or ask anyone to show up for me or love me in a way that I'm not even willing to love myself. And that was a breakthrough I only had in my late 20s after a breakup, a long-term relationship that I decided to end. And I dedicated a song to myself for the first time ever, the same way, you know, you and your new boo might have our song. When I hear these lyrics, I think of us, Stevie Wonder as is my song to myself. And I promised myself on the other end of that breakup, I was never going to betray myself, let myself down, hurt myself in the ways that I did in that relationship and the ways that I allowed my partner to at different times. Um, And that was all the security I needed. I stopped finally looking for that guarantee from a partner and just decided to do it for myself because I was watching me show up as this great partner or the best I could be to these people. I'm like, well, why don't I just go ahead and re re um, allocate this energy, these funds towards myself? <laughs> and it was night and day, the sorts of relationships and um, dating opportunities and the men that I attracted in my life, because I was just on a different vibrational frequency. And the people who couldn't match me, it, they just fell away. Even if I wanted to keep the toxicity in my life, like the truth was, I wasn't walking that walk anymore. So it was only so long before they just kind of disappeared or the universe would kind of clear them out of the way. And I would be directed towards people who were on my wavelength and who um, matched my energy when it came to the type of love, the type of life that we were living, the one of self-love, mutual respect, boundaries. Um, What does that look like, in your opinion, uh, going from self-love and self-worth into relationship? How does that inform our relationships? What does self-worth look like in the context of partnership? Um, I would imagine boundaries is a big, a big thing. Uh, but what would you say? Yeah. I mean, I love that you're sharing your own experience because I think mine is somewhat similar, right? I went from being attracted to and attracting men who were unavailable in some way, shape or form, right? Because I sort of didn't feel worthy of love. I didn't feel lovable. And so then there was always this attraction to people who then reinforced that belief about myself. And once I released that, once I decided, okay, like I actually do know that I'm lovable. And for me, that really came very clearly after I had a relationship with a man of two years and he didn't fall in love with me. And at some point it was like clear, he wasn't going to fall in love with me. And so towards the end of that relationship, I was like, you know what? It's not me. (laughs) It's him. He's a very nice man. He's a very nice person, but like it's his emotional capacity and his limitations that are keeping him from loving me, not me. I am lovable. I am worthy of love. And that really then shifted because then I was attracting and attracted to, which I think is a really important point because when we struggle with some of these things, we tend to be attracted to the people who reinforce our negative or unhelpful beliefs about ourselves. But when we fill ourselves up, when we feel worthy and lovable and we're not desperate for attention, for affection, because we're offering it to ourselves, we have other fulfilling relationships, then we tend to be attracted to people who are going to show up for us, are going to be in relationship with us, are not, you know, avoiding us and distant and all of these things. And so it just makes for better, healthier relationships when you're feeling like a complete fulfilled person going into a relationship versus looking for someone to fix you or complete you or any of those things. Right, right. What What is the key to you for um, developing and looking for healthy romantic relationships? So let's say we've been working on our self-worth. We're getting to a place where we feel good and healthy and well. But the truth is a lot of us still have, you know, the scars from the past, old traumas, old triggers, and um, Satan, the universe, whatever you want to call it, whatever you believe <laughs> in, whatever, uh, will just show up and just give you a little test every now and then, a little pop quiz, see if you really are about that new life. Um, mm. and you, you, you pass or you fail, you realize in that moment, okay, there's more work to be done. So if we're trying to step out into these streets with a new level of self-worth, when it comes to dating, what should we be keeping in mind as we engage with other people? What are the questions we can ask on the first, second, third date? What are the red flags? 
to know, okay, whatever energy they're giving might not be in alignment with this new version of myself that I want to continue to grow? Mm, Wow, that's such a good question. Um, So I think one thing is really paying attention to how you feel with someone and when you're communicating, right? With them, when you're communicating with them, when you're out on dates, et cetera. I know that for me, when I was in a space of lower self-worth or feeling unlovable, I was so focused on getting the person to like me that I was not very focused on how do I actually feel with them, right? And so does this person make you feel anxious? Right. Are you sort of like, when are they going to call? When are they going to text? I don't know. I don't hear from them. They come in and out and they're inconsistent. And they said they want to go on a date on Friday, but I don't know if they're going to go. And right. Like, are they making you feel anxious? Because if they're, and some of it can be internalized, right? But if they're communicating in a way that's inconsistent, right? If they're like, yeah, I'll hit you up later and you never hear from them. If they're like, yeah, we should go out this weekend and you never hear from them, right? Like notice that. Because your own sense of like, this doesn't feel good, or I'm now anxious and feel like I have to remind them of who I am and get their attention, that's not a good sign, right? And you may be comfortable with that if you're used to chasing someone or getting someone to engage with you, but it's it doesn't ultimately lead to a healthy relationship. So that's one thing. So tune into your intuition and notice how do I feel with this person? Notice how they respond to your boundaries, right? So I remember uh, back when I was dating this guy, you know, we matched on, you know, a dating app or something and he seemed really great on paper. And he was like, oh, you know, you should come over to my apartment for a drink. And I was like, wait, no, I'm that not going to do that. That was the first yeah. date proposal? Right. Yes, exactly. I was like, no, I'm not going to do that on a first date. And then he was like, oh, well, just come to my building. You know, we have like a party room. And then we can. And I was like, no, I'm not going to do that. And he literally kept asking. And I was like, flag, right? Like, right. you are not listening to my no. Right. right. I keep telling you, no, I keep saying I am not comfortable with this. And you keep saying, but what about this? And what about that? Right. So when you set a boundary and it can be small, like I'm not comfortable, I want to meet in a public place or, you know, after this t- talking after this time doesn't work for me or whatever it is. Does the person listen to your boundary or are they trying to push past it? And, and convince you that you shouldn't have your boundary, right? That's a communication of respect saying, oh, great, cool. You're not comfortable coming over. Great. I'll find a place for us to grab drinks, right? Like, you know what I mean? And so how are they responding? And then I think sort of exploring, do you have shared values? Do you have shared goals, right? If you know you're looking for a serious relationship and someone is like, yeah, I don't want a serious relationship right now, then Listen to them, mm-hmm, right. <laughs> hear them, so take like note. Convince yourself, Ooh, this sounds like a job for, for me to fix. <laughs> this sounds like a project to take on. Exactly. Don't do we, we don't want projects. <laughs> God, good God. Oh, the projects of my life. When I think back mm. on all of this, I just knew I was about to fix somebody, save somebody, turn somebody around. LOL. LOL. Uh-huh. Never, never, never. <laughs> end up at best, at best, you give them a, a brush up, a shine up, an improvement, right. a makeover, and then they're off to the next person. Exactly. A little dust <laughs> off before they hit the road again. Or you send them packing, honestly, once you finally get sick of it. State Farm Insurance gets it. Representation alone doesn't equate to authenticity. State Farm understands and wants to help protect our communities by investing in our future building off the hard work our parents have done before us. We all are looking to create generational wealth so that our families and generations behind us have a better starting point than we did. That begins with financial literacy. State Farm helps fund programs like Project Ready, a National Urban League program committed to the educational achievement of Black and Brown youth. To date, participants have been awarded over $11 million in scholarships offers as a direct result of contributions from State Farm. At Eating Wallbrook, we hear inspiring rags to riches stories on each episode from our guests, but with State Farm, you can begin to write your own success story. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. 
you know a spot. But not just a spot. The spot. Actually, with the 2023 Nissan Frontier, you know a bunch of them. But the key to these great spots? Being able to reach them in the first place. Your spot is out there. Find your Frontier in the 2023 Nissan Frontier with standard 310 horsepower, advanced tech, and 281 pound-feet of torque. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. You know, we've talked about uh, self-worth in the context of just our relationship with ourselves, uh, romantic relationships and love. Uh, you also talk about self-worth um, in the context of sexual relationships, too, which I think is so important. You know, uh, we are grown women. We've lived from the situationships to the, the one night stands to the committer relationships, um, the F boys of the world, F girls of the world. Um when it comes to sex uh, in our society, it does feel still for some reason taboo to talk about, particularly from the angle of women's pleasure, us owning our body mm. and being sovereign beings and speaking up for what we want. You know, um, we're taught to think of guys as, as the, the person to please and kind of forsaking our own pleasure or expectations in that process, faking an orgasm to this day. I'm like, I can't do it. Never would. Can't relate. Another promise I made to myself. I was like, I will never. I love it. Um, so what what does that mean to you? Why do you think it's so difficult sometimes for us as women to ask for what we want? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, you touch on so many things there. One is it it is, I think, hard. I don't think women are socialized to embrace pleasure and, and feel deserving and worthy of pleasure. Right. And, and often as girls and young women, we're told, keep your legs closed and like, you know, be gatekeepers of sex and you should, you shouldn't want sex. Right. It's sort of the message, right. I think young men, right. Are often socialized to want sex and that's normal and boys will be boys, but young women and girls, it's like you're not supposed to want sex. It's like you're not a sexual being. And so then there's all this sort of challenging situation where sex is often framed as a service to the other person or something that you acquiesce to for the other person. And obviously this is shifting, but I think part of it is believing you're worthy of pleasure, right? And you could think about pleasure on, you know, a continuum from, you know, treating yourself to your favorite dessert and just enjoying it without being like, it's a cheat day. And <laughs> oh, I'm going to work out so much tomorrow because I, you know, it's like, you could just have it and enjoy it. And like, oh, you know what I mean? And like, or pleasure as rest or doing just something you enjoy just because, not because you achieve, but just because, or sexual pleasure, having orgasm, right? So there's, there's that. I think the other piece back to the being and doing, right? If you think about orgasm, like really you need to release, let go, be fully present. If you are thinking about performing, if you are thinking about what are they thinking of my body? What are they thinking of how I look? What are they thinking about the sounds I'm making? It is very hard to be in a mental space where you can allow an orgasm to come because you're sort of in performance and control mode, right? And so often women are socialized to be in service, performance, and control mode. So I think a lot of this is involving sort of, you know, how do you get there yourself, which is where sort of like masturbation and self-pleasuring can be really useful because we sort of take out all the other people, <laughs> mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And you just focus on yourself. And then when you transition to, or when you're having sex with a partner, you know, owning the fact that you should be experiencing pleasure and that it's okay and good and healthy to ask for what you want, that that's not about saying the other person is performing poorly, but often partners are kind of like, I don't know what to do. 
And if you're in a healthy partnership, they want you to experience pleasure in sex. And so you communicating either during sex or outside of sex, like, hey, I really like it when you do this, or I think I'd like that, you know, that can be such a helpful and healthy conversation, even though it's uncomfortable. So part of it is being willing to feel uncomfortable in the service of experiencing pleasure. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a recent group chat episode where some of my girlfriends came on. We talked to the, about sexual health and um, sort of how it's a mandatory conversation before we engage with a potential partner. Um, but like you mentioned, having those conversations can be uncomfortable. It can be tough. You know, I've heard of women who, you know, they asked their sexual partners to get tested and they were gaslit or ghosted or felt this really intense pressure to compromise or move the boundaries of what they felt good or comfortable with. And then they regret being you know, open, transparent, speaking up for themselves. What do you say to someone who might feel that that hesitation? Um, I would imagine it very much uh, represents low self worth in the context of sexual relationship versus high self worth. Um, what What do you say to to those who might be hesitant because of you know maybe unsupportive partners? Yeah, I mean, I would say. It, it's understandable, right? It's understandable that it feels uncomfortable and it feels maybe scary to have this conversation because the fear I think ultimately is this person is going to reject me. And I really like this person. I really want to be connected to this person. But that's again, where having a grounding in your self-worth and in your relationship with yourself and saying, you know what, it's uncomfortable, but I have to set this boundary for me, right? When I'm telling my, I told my own story at 24, it was like, I had the conversation, but I didn't necessarily set the boundaries and like have it as seriously as I needed to. I wasn't, I wasn't in a place where I was able to do that yet. But now, well, you know, I'm in a monogamous, monogamous marriage. So we've established that, but you know, it's like, how do you sort of courageously have the conversation and know that you are going to be there for yourself, even if this person is not going to stay with you? Because you and your health and your boundaries are more important than, you know, acquiescing to what somebody wants to do uh, or not do. And this is a this is sort of a signal, a sign of a relationship, sort of a relationship test. If you say, you know, I'm not going to feel comfortable having sex or having intercourse until we both get tested um, and they and they gaslight you or they're mean or they deny it. Well, that's a sign that they don't respect your boundaries. Because even if they don't think it's necessary, they should say, you know what? I want you to feel safe if we're going to have sex. And I want us to be open and transparent about what's going on. I want us, I want to protect me and I want to protect you. So yes, I'm willing to do that. Right. And so that's a sign of emotional maturity. So it's uncomfortable, but it also shows you how this person is willing to engage with you. And if you're saying at baseline, I need us to get tested to keep me safe and keep you safe. And the person is pushing back against that. Then what is it going to be like if you're like, hey, this is what I need to feel pleasure, right? Safety is the baseline. Pleasure is, you know what I mean, is what we go for afterwards. But how are they really going to show up in that space wanting to pleasure you if they're not even prioritizing keeping you safe, right? That's a sign, even though it might be hard, that maybe this is relationship isn't going to work um, because they're not willing to show up for you in that way. Right, right. And then having the courage, that strength to walk away when you see the red flags, when you, you recognize the warning signs um, instead of staying, which again, goes right back to the your ideas about what you are worthy of, right? If you truly believe fundamentally that you're worth something and something else is beneath or below you, even when it's uncomfortable or it's painful or it sucks a little bit, you walk away anyway, because you just know mm-hmm. you deserve better and you know you can get it. Um, what are some of the signs or red flags uh, that you might be using your, your sexual relationships to prove you are worthy, that you might be suffering from low self-worth and it's manifesting mm. in those sorts of relationships. What, what red flags might you see? Hmm. That's a good question. I mean, I think, um, you know, feeling like you have to perform sex and feeling like sex is about you pleasuring, you know, your partner, um, more than about sort of a mutual positive experience, um, that you all are creating together, feeling sort of like, 
You know, if they're, if you feel like they're pulling away, then you offer sex to pull them back in, right? Sort of using sex as a tool more than something that's mutual and, you know, mutually pleasurable, mutually created, all of those things, um, I think can be a sign. Um, feeling like you have to be in performance mode when you're having sex, right? Feeling like I have to do it right so they stay, or I, it's got to be so good they don't go anywhere else. Like these sort of narratives, right? That again are about me showing you that you shouldn't leave me because the sex is good versus us creating a sexual experience together that feels good for both of us. Yeah. Yeah. That idea of performance, it really translates to other areas too, right? Performing on the date when you're interacting in just romantic context, performing in friendships, performing in the office, anytime that you feel like being who you are, whatever feels truest to you in that moment isn't enough, kind of plays right into that idea of who you are not being worth whatever it is you're experiencing or whoever it is you're experiencing. Yeah, exactly. I think So one of the things that my husband said in his vows when we got married is that he appreciated how honest I was even on our first date. And he, you know, was asking me some questions. I didn't really notice. I'm just answering that, you know, he in the past had asked other women and he felt like they were giving him answers that he wanted to hear. And I was just answering because I was like, this is the truth for me, you know? And it was, what was one of the things he asked? I'm so curious. I don't, you know, I don't even think it, it wasn't even that it wasn't even super deep, but like one, I think one question was, so we live in Chicago. I'm from Southern California. And I think he was like, you know, would you ever move back to Southern California? And I was like, yeah, I would. you know what I mean? Like, I probably would. Like, I don't know if I will, but I probably would. And for him, that was like, you know, like, oh, like you might leave. So that might be something that I, you know, like if I was tuned into like, maybe he wouldn't like this. Maybe it's like, oh no, like I'm always going to be in Chicago. Chicago. I just, the winter's here. Especially in February. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, and I don't even remember all the questions, but it's just like, he appreciated that I was being myself, not trying to just cater to him so that he would ask me on another date. Like that wasn't my goal. It was like, well, this is who I am. Right. And, and I think that's what we need in relationships because if a long-term relationship is going to work, we need them to like us. We don't need somebody to fall for, you know, this image that we create or a representative because that is just not sustainable. So when we're grounded in our worthiness and we like us, then it's so much easier to show up as ourselves when we're dating. And then if somebody doesn't like us, it might be disappointing, but it's like, okay, well, better off because I'm not going to date someone who doesn't like me. That just doesn't make sense. Right. Right. Um, resources, tools for people who want to begin the journey or maybe refresh or just keep building on it. Uh, where can we go to learn how to love on ourselves more and cultivate that feeling of unconditional self-worth? Yeah. So I have a free ebook, um, which is on four practices to help you connect to your unconditional self-worth. Um, and I think that's a really great place to start. People can sign up for it on my website. So dradiagoodencom forward slash free e dash book. Um, and it's free and you can sign up and, and get started that way. Love it. Love it. And I'm curious to know if you have any favorite affirmation, just something, just give us one for today for our hot, happy mess listeners. Um, Something that we can repeat to ourselves throughout the day, throughout the week uh, to begin or build on our our foundation of self-worth. What affirmation might you have for us? Hmm. Let's see. That's a good, (laughs) that's a good one. Like, can my neurons fire quick enough? Um, I am worthy and wonderful even as I grow and evolve. Mm. I am worthy and wonderful even as I grow and evolve. I love this space that that allows for the mess ups, the hiccups, the tripping up, right? And to remember Mm -hmm. that we're still worthy in the midst of the journey, the evolution, the stumbles, um, because I think that's where we tend to stop giving ourselves grace as soon as we need it most. 
Exactly. And I think the other thing is that people sometimes fear that if they embrace their unconditional self-worth, that means they won't grow anymore. But those things are not mutually exclusive, right? And it can be so helpful to, as you're saying, if we're messing up, remind ourselves that we're still worthy. And to know that if we embrace our self-worth, that actually is a great foundation for personal growth. Oh, beautiful. Dr. Adia, this conversation was exactly what I needed. I, I certainly could use a refresher. So I appreciate your time. I, I know our listeners will love it too. If people want to just follow you, keep up with you, you're active on social media also, right? Yeah. So I'm at Dr. Adia Gooden. Love for people to follow and you can visit my website, dradiagooden.com as well. Awesome. Dr. Adia, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. I so appreciate it. This was fun. Thank you again so much, Dr. Adia, for joining me on the podcast and for being so vulnerable and honest about your life experiences. I know I came away with so many gems, so many takeaways, and I encourage you to take a moment to do that amazing affirmation if you haven't already. Also, make sure you check out her services and remember that you are worthy. All right, period. Before I head out, I do want to do a call out for real women's stories. I'd love to spotlight you on the podcast. So email me hello at hothappymess.com with your story. You can be sure to tell a friend about this episode if you really want to be a real one and share us. If you like this episode, post it on your Insta story, tweet it, DM it to somebody. If you tag me, I'll repost it. I'll share it. Blast us everywhere and we'll repost. And we're so grateful for your love and your support. And I hope you'll stay tuned for more episodes every Wednesday. In the meantime, you can follow me at Zuri Hall, Z-U-R-I-H-A-L-L and at Hot Happy Mess on Instagram. And I'll talk to you next Wednesday. Bye. 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 Black Tech Green Money isn't just about telling the stories of successful black entrepreneurs. It's also about giving actionable and wealth building strategies that help you protect the future of our communities. That's why we're pleased to be supported by State Farm Insurance. State Farm also believes that we must invest in our communities to achieve economic growth by sponsoring programs like the AXO, which rewards high school students for their academic achievements. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.